This is Japan Baseball Weekly. News, interviews, analysis, and your questions all about NPB. And now your hosts, Johnny Gibson and Jim Allen. Hi, and welcome to the Japan Baseball Weekly podcast. It's for the week of October 16th, or perhaps earlier. <laughs> I'm John Gibson, and with me on a Saturday morning, is it? I'm confused. It's my buddy Jim Allen. How you doing, bud? You awake? I am, surprisingly. Yeah, you're looking well. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, if I'm visible, then I'm well. You know, as I say, <laughs> getting out of you know, if I feel I feel fortunate every day to to be awake every morning. There you go. <laughs> I'm not always awake every morning. I was going to say I'm not sure I am. Yeah, and I'm a morning person now, and I, I'm not sure I am awake. And I just came back from a abbreviated run we'll call it it was not not the uh typical distance but i got a good run in there i think and i'm supposed to be feeling good but i i feel sleepy <laughs> mm, well that's that's on you <laughs> I, I got well, mine you got yours thanks for all the input and assistance and the, the support and the yeah. best thing is is that you care <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that but there must be some of that there all right all right well we care about the uh playoffs and and we care about this week's show and on this week's show we've got second year Sabu import and he's in his second year but his first year was with the Bay stars but import reliever brooks Krisky as the guest and then we're going to discuss the plcs the clcs and go deep into some high heat so let's start swinging clearing the bases Okay, well, I caught up with uh, Brooks Krisky, or we caught up with each other. I was switching sides at at uh, the ballpark formerly known as Prince up in the Saitama Prefecture. I was walking over from the I'm trying to remember who was playing that day. Where the Marines were playing, and I was walking over from the Marines side. I saw the some the last couple of Lions players heading off the field. So I rushed over through the little warren of offices behind that they built under the ballpark and ran into Brooks Krisky and Bo Takahashi as they were heading up the, you know, the, the stairway to heaven there. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that was, you know, it was good to see them. And I'd, I'd wanted to talk to Brooks. And so we had a, we had an impromptu podcast interview right there in the hallway. And it was it was it was really fun. Uh, he was he's a very as yeah, pretty typical of the guys in in NPB, serious and cheerful and uh, quite thoughtful. And I just a couple of notes before we get into this. Uh, I mentioned that uh, his spring training with the Cebu Lions was shorter than everybody else's, but it wasn't shorter than his teammates for some reason that I have yet to decipher. Uh, Cebu started spring draining, I think, four or five days later than every the other 11 teams, mm -hmm. which is like it's like going to church late. You know, it's like everybody goes February. For, you know, every team is is in where, you know, Miyazaki or used to be Kochi or I mean, they used to have spring training and she's a too. So, uh, you know, or Okinawa, they're there. You know, it's not a few days before February. No, 1st. <laughs> yeah, they're they've reported two days before, and the day before they go to the shrine and they have their meetings, and the managers who say they're going to quit at the end of the season, you know, they give those announcements and so on. And uh, but the Lions went to uh, their rural escape in 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 the Nichinan 
or Nango Miyazaki, which is like the like close to the southernmost point of Kyushu and and hours from Miyazaki City. So they went there four or five days later. Um, anyway, so we'll figure that out someday. Now, Brooks uh, Krisky pitched in 18 games last season for DNA. He struck out 26 batters in 21 innings and walked 13. Uh, he's appeared in 20 MLB games with the Yankees, Orioles, and for the including and with the Royals, uh, for whom he threw in four games this year. So you'll hear a little bit about that. And uh, and it was really funny because uh, one of the things that that I we talk a lot about with new players is you know finding that you know finding that center where your skills are more or less you know your body doesn't change your physical abilities don't change all that much your strength doesn't change all that much your mental awareness doesn't change all that much and then applying those to a completely different environment where all the all the landmarks and benchmarks are a little different they've shifted mm-hmm. is really hard you know, sorting out the wheat from the chaff. And, and I didn't get to ask that because he just brought it up. Mm. So, um, but we, you know, this is a common conversation and I think he says it really well. So, uh, well, anyway, enjoy the enjoy the interview. Okay, our, our guest this week on the Japan Baseball Weekly Podcast kind of surprise is Brooks Krisky of the Cebu Lions, formerly of the DNA Base Stars. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Okay, now you you got the uh, the full I, I, not quite the full change from last year because there were lots of fans in the stands last year, but they weren't allowed to cheer, right. and you got it turned on full blast. We went yeah. from zero to full yes. blast. How yeah. was that? It's been really cool. Um, I catch myself singing the chants at night, trying to go to sleep, um, but it, it feels like a playoff atmosphere every day, which is it's really fun to be a part of. Okay, and even though the Lions uh, aren't really looking at being in the playoffs, uh, this you know three teams in a, going into the playoffs in a six-team league means basically every game is meaningful. Right. And you got five saves. Uh, you just came in and bam, you're you're in the game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm thankful they put me in that situation. Obviously, um, you know, I feel like there's there's a handful of guys in the bullpen that could get the job done as well. So, um, you know, hoping to continue to throw well and be available every day and help the team as much as I can. Okay, tell me about your first experience in Japan last year. Yeah, it was different with all the the COVID and corona stuff. Um, But, you know, after a couple days, you get the hang of everything, you get a hang of the trains, and it's a really, it's actually a much simpler way of life here. It's um, very safe. I don't have to worry about my wife, um, you know, when she wants to go explore or go out with some friends i don't have to worry about her safety like i might have had to in baltimore or new york or so uh that's been a nice change it, it really helps me focus on baseball now um when your season you, you obviously came on a one-year contract last year yeah. with dna uh, what were your thoughts at the end of the season were you hoping to come back and stay of course come back and hoping for an extension yeah um I mean, I, I was open to anything, really. Uh, the We had some talks, and they just didn't work out. And, um, you know, no hard feelings towards the team. Obviously, I loved my time there. Um, tried to back out in the States, proved to myself I could make it back to the big leagues, and, you know, Cebu came in, and, and, you know, I thought it was a good opportunity, so I took it. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, um, there's there are there are certain attractions to being in Japan. Right. Uh, for you, what what are what are those? In addition to the safety. Yeah, you know, I think it's just a way to to further my game. It's tough sometimes in the states when you're the up and down guy, and mm-hmm. I still had options in the states, so. You know, this year threw six, seven strong innings, and I threw too much and had to get sent down to freshen up the bullpen, and that kind of stinks when you're throwing well. And just because you're one of the guys that can get sent down, um, they send you down. And um, here, you know, getting the opportunity to pitch against good competition often, um, you know, I think it makes you a better player. It's a different style of baseball, sure. So so you learn things. You learn how to pitch differently, how to hold runners, and quick steps and messing with timing stuff like that and it translates to the states so that's also alluring to to come over here and and learn some things and you never know what what your career is going to lead up to you know you see the scott mcguffs and those guys that kind of seemed like they were going to be lifers in japan go get big deals in the states and or there's guys that get huge deals here and love it here and sure you know as long as i'm throwing a baseball i'm happy okay well, tell me, uh, how, when did you start playing pro baseball? How old were you? 22. So I had graduated college already and got drafted. So um, 2016 was my first year in pro ball. Okay. And how was that transition? It was good. It, it was quick. Uh, I threw in a handful of games and had to get Tommy John. So, <laughs> so then I missed a, a year and a half and didn't come back until 2018. So, wow. So I missed kind of two years of development, which kind of was unfortunate. And then, you got, and then Corona came not long after that, and 2020 right. was the right. washout if you're in the minors. Right, so, um, yeah, 2019 was kind of my first full season, and then I got put on the roster with the Yankees and then 2020, and spring training was having a good spring training. Corona hit, and so, you know, it's been some adversity, but I wouldn't change it for a thing. Okay, well, then, yeah, and you can't anyway. So right, right. <laughs> okay, so let me ask what kind of adjustments have you made? I mean, you talked a little bit about the different, uh, the different way of base, the different taste of the baseball yeah. here, and the different priorities the coaches put on what you're doing. You know, the quick, the slide step, right. and the PFP is right. intense here, and spring right. trainings. Although your guys' spring training was shorter than everybody else's. Yeah. Uh, tell me about some of the adjustments you've made as a pitcher to this game. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. It, it kind of hones you in on who you are as a pitcher. Um, you know, there's uh, – I'm trying to think the best way to describe it. it it's, it's kind of acclimating to Japanese baseball, but not forgetting who you are as mm-hmm. a pitcher, I guess, to an extent. Um, you know, kind of my whole career has been, you know, maybe a little too many walks, um, but not a lot of hits and a lot of strikeouts and – it's kind of finding that middle ground here where, you know, thankfully the Lions kind of understand who I am as a pitcher and they don't harp on the walks as much. Um, but it's obviously still trying to cut those down. So, I mean, I don't think there's there's anything specifically. You don't necessarily change who you are. Correct. It, it just might pull you in a little bit different of a direction. Right. I think uh, one way of putting it is, you know, you have to apply your skills to this these challenges, and the right. challenges aren't exactly always what you expected them right. to be. Exactly. And so let me ask, and I'm, I'm, 
we're getting at that point of the season where you're thinking about 2024 a little in the back of your right. mind and what can you do to be better and let me ask what maybe ways are you thinking about this offseason and how you might apply your core skills to Japanese baseball better right. next year um well you know it's been a little bit of an adjustment this year um Going into last offseason, I developed a little bit more of a slider that I used a lot in the States with the different ball, and mm. I got comfortable with how the Major League Baseball felt in my hand and how it moved with that ball, and it was a pitch in the States this year that was a high strike percentage in the zone. I haven't quite had that here, so I'm almost missing a little piece. So I think, you know, if if I am back here next year, and have the full off season using the NPB balls, you know, to hone that in. And I think that's something that'll help a lot. Um, make me three dimensional instead of two dimensional. Two dimensional. Right. So you bring the whole package. Right. So when you're doing that, do you use like a, um, my my brain's stuck right now. One of the tracking systems. Yes. Yes. Uh, when I signed with DNA, I bought one of the track me like the portable track okay. man machines. Right. So right. It was a big investment, but it's helped a lot in my career. It's helped me. Um, you know, uh, fine-tune everything. And what kind of players, uh, obviously you're in a different league here, but the exposure is still small. Maybe right. it's hard to make judgments. But what kind of players have you seen that you, you're, you're maybe most impressed with? Yeah, I mean, last year there was a couple guys that I really liked. I liked Maru with uh, Yomiuri last year. Seemed like a special player. This year some of the young guys, uh, Kiyomiya with uh, the Fighters, Manami with the Fighters. You know their their talent is through the roof. They're they're very impressive players, and um, you know I'd like to see them get a shot. And obviously, kind of the already superstars, Yanagita and Kondo, those guys, great great players, and I think they would have had great careers in the states as well. So, you know, and I talked about uh, asked about adjustments because the you know as you said, there's different challenges here. Right. You've got that whole spectrum especially with the left-handed hitters right. you know you've got some guys you've got the few guys like Inagita and, and Mara who can who can take you deep and will right. take big cuts if you throw a fat right. pitch well Inagita will take a big big cut if you throw it two feet out of the right. zone sometimes and put it in the seats but uh, you also have those that huge you know like a third of the left-handed hitters whose goal in life is to make you insane right. by hitting, hitting the ball right. between third and short and, and dumping it into left right. field right and and those you know those were the players that I struggled against the most in the states before my first stint in Japan oh my the, the contact oriented left-handed hitters and um, you know, I learned how to face those guys better last year, and I think that served me in the States this year and is serving me now. Is um, You know, I have a plan of attack against those guys, but right. they do make you go insane a little bit with the, the foul balls and, the, you know, you're, you're making pitch after pitch, and they're, they're making you work. Um, yeah. Whereas you don't get that in the states all yeah, the time. Yeah, the best the best uh, scene I ever had actually was a right-handed hitter who was. There's you know there, there are those guys too. Right. They're just not as, as as common. But there was a right-handed hitter for the the SoftBank Hawks one year who was a Lotte coach for a while, and and he uh, he was one of those guys who'd foul off. Uh, his goal in life was to see how many balls he could foul off in a game. And uh, a friend of the the podcast, Jeremy Powell, once just had enough of him, and when he hit a comebacker, he he ran over him. Oh man! Yeah, I don't think I've gotten that frustrated, but uh, yeah, it could drive you crazy for sure. But 
you know, it, it makes you better as a pitcher too. You know, it's testing your mental fortitude and and your ability to continue to make pitches after pitches because, you know, that's the name of the game as a pitcher. If you keep making your pitches, you're going to get outs. But, yeah. you know, sometimes it can knock you off your game a bit. It, okay, well, so that is keeping your balance is really the, right. the name of the game right. in, in every sport. Right. And, you know, playing your game instead of theirs. Exactly. Okay, yeah. well, we're very glad to have met you and Absolutely. wish you the most success going forward. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks again, Brooks. Hopefully we'll be seeing you again in 2024 uh, after you've had a chance to, uh, you know, adapt that slider to the NPV ball and yeah. hopefully see something new. <laughs> how, how about you, John? Yeah, um, you know, I'm I'm glad you bumped into him. I'm glad you guys were able to speak. And uh, I cut this part off of that last end of the interview, but afterward he said this was so cool. And I thought, you know, I'm glad the players can appreciate the opportunity to come on and at least, you know, they come on the show and their friends back home can hear in their own words how they're doing and what they're thinking about Japanese baseball, how the career is going and those kinds of things. So I think it's a it's a good opportunity for the players as well, not just for the listeners. So uh, it was good. to It was awesome to hear him say that after you guys chatted. But you know, anyone who's married, I think, can appreciate the notion of any member of the family exploring, quote unquote, in, in a foreign country. It's really unnerving. And to so, so to hear Brooks say, you know, he, his wife can go out and, you know, he can give his undivided attention to baseball. I think that's really huge because we always talk about the mental part and the mental stress that players undergo when they're taking on this venture in a foreign country in which they can't speak the language and they can't read and it's hard to get around and we never really have to worry about safety in japan it's just a, a given you know you don't have to worry a lot of times about being shot guns aren't allowed it's not a, it's not in the forefront of our minds that something terrible could happen so that that safety part i think we take it for granted a little bit and so mm. to hear a, a player put it into perspective like that i think that's huge because again a lot of the preparation and everything is mental. And there are a lot of meetings that the players have to go to. And, of course, to coordinate and to get everything with the mental part and uh, coordinate it with the, with the physical part and then uh, go out there and execute. You know, we just see the results and we kind of make assumptions or decisions or evaluations on the results. But the mental part is so huge for the players themselves because they're the ones who have to go and sit in these meetings. Those are the guys who are looking at the weaknesses and strengths of the opponents and going over those things in their mind. It's a lot to remember, especially for a pitcher. Okay, this batter does what? You know, this batter does what? And especially when you haven't seen them before and you, uh, and a lot of times the guys say, well, I'm just trying to execute my pitches and I'm going to do what my strengths are, blah, blah, blah. But we know that there is a plan in place you know, when they go to approach these these batters, uh, especially for the pitchers. So to hear him say that uh, he can, again, give his undivided attention to baseball, I think is huge. And as you know, um, many, if not all, of the Lions imports ride the Cebu trains to the games. And I think that's another aspect because these guys, you know, they, they're out there with the public and it's, <laughs> it's, I just find it fascinating still. I was, who was I talking to? I think I was talking to uh, Dietrich Enns recently when I was out there and he said, yeah, I still ride the trains and it's really fun. And uh, I've learned to get around and the people, some people recognize me, a lot of people don't. And so, <laughs> you know, it's really comfortable. I'm just saying that, you know, these Lions players, not only have I enjoyed all the interviews with the Lions players as people, 
but uh it has been i mean all the guys have been so engaging uh so forthcoming and candid with their answers you know we didn't get a lot of sanitized answers we got a lot of uh insight and i love brooks pointing out the fact that the ball is different and that he you know that the ball reacts different and that he has to i guess learn about the ball a little bit in some respects right how the ball is going to react coming out of his hand and how it's different from the major leagues and that part and when he's talking about you know i call them elevator guys but the, to say that he was he he just got sent down just because he had options remaining and i think you know, we look at a guy who comes up in the major leagues or something and we say, oh, that guy, you know, looks like he's got some potential or it doesn't look very good. We make a decision or whatever the results are. Right. And then we hear that he gets sent down and you wonder, well, why did they send him down? And you you really get confused about it. And simply because he was available to be sent down <laughs> puts it in perspective. Sometimes it can be that simple. So I, I think we got a lot of insight from Brooks and I really appreciated the chat and and thank you. I think you had some good questions in there and it was really fun to, to listen to. Yeah, I have to, uh, another little bit of information I, I omitted at the start was the, 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 the story about <laughs> Jeremy Powell. <laughs> that was the guy he ran over was uh, Yusuke Torigoy. My man, tax yeah, man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get the, yeah. yeah he, Mr. Tortigoy long ago was a dragon who had some issues with the tax man. So yeah, indeed. Uh, that. Well, that's the short a, version. That is the short version. We'll leave it at that. The short version for the tall guy. So anyway, he was a player I always really liked. Um, you know, basically a middle middle infield utility guy, but he was a right a right handed batter who would slap the ball and drive you nuts and and, and, and jeremy jp just had enough of it one day when they were playing and uh and i asked him well, you know what ha what happened there is this guy just messes me up <laughs> <laughs> so he reached his kind of a, his uh his breaking point there and jeremy's uh, a big dude man he is indeed that well they're well, Tori Goy's, you know, he's uh, he's a tall. He was tall, and, but he's lanky. Yeah, he was lanky. Yeah. So anyway, that was kind of a thing with things that happen, you know, like weird base running collisions in Fukuoka. <laughs> I mean, it's hmm. sort of a it's sort of a, a running, you know, reality show. I remember there's a few players have had sort of those egregious <laughs> collisions, uh, foreign players. So anyway. So there was that, and I, and I think the other thing I, I would probably mention, and, and I, I guess I want to comment. You know, you're talking about all the meetings and all all the the, the pitchers. You know, wanted to know all the weak, wanting to know the weaknesses that can prepare a plan. And I'm not certain that applies to JB Wendelkin, who who has this. You know, who when we chatted has this streak of I really don't want to know too much. You know, I don't want to. Know. It's like. <laughs> imagine at jb's when he was probably growing up at christmas they say you can open one present on christmas eve he says no 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 i'm waiting until tomorrow <laughs> i don't want to spoil the surprise there you go <laughs> so yeah every, everybody's everybody's a little different but yeah it was it was good fun and i certainly do appreciate you know the bit about the safety and i and i listen to you talk and i can tell 
you've got kids because you could hear that in your voice, you know, the concern about people in your family. And you hear that with the players, uh, something that I don't, I don't really feel in Japan, but I do feel, you know, when I go abroad with, with uh, Terio in some places, you know, she says, <laughs> I'm going, I'm saying, no, you're not. <laughs> not. Yeah. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so yeah, that was fun. And, and thank you again. And, and thanks to Botakashi for saying hi and, you know, and not just walking by and saying, oh, I remember that guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did see Bo as well. I don't know if I mentioned it on the show, but I nope. did see him when uh, I think I was talking to Dietrich Enns that day. And I say, hey, hey, Bo, I really enjoyed your story. Uh, the whole story about coming to Japan and seeing family and pitching in front of your family at, at Nagoya Dome was just, it brought a tear to my eye and he's like, Oh, okay. Well, thank you, man. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, yeah. Yeah. The, the, I mean, telling you that the Lions guys, they, they really bring in quality people and we'll, we'll get to that later yeah. on when we talk about our question, Yeah, actually, yeah. actually I was thinking about that. And right now, uh, the Lions, the chief, uh, it's, it hasn't been a, a sudden thing. Uh, they've had a number of uh, really good guys as scouts, and currently I think their chief scout is uh, Fernando Seganol, or at least he was at the start of the season. One's never quite too certain with Cebu how how long people are going to be there. Hmm. <laughs> but uh, if if Segi's involved and the team in question is not the Yomiuri Giants, then you can probably guess that the person is uh is a good person hashtag yeah <laughs> you know the All giants right. want what they want they don't they don't brook a lot of a lot of warnings or or you know they don't they don't want to hear any sort of back talk from the scouts this is the guy we want so juan francisco come on down whoa <laughs> Just roll up that newspaper and start swinging. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Brooks, and thank you, Jim. That was that was awesome. So let's make a four-seam transition to the postseason. We have arrived. Uh, it is Saturday morning, as I said earlier. Uh, the playoffs start today. We've got a day game in Hiroshima. We, we have a night game at Chiba, and I think Jim is scheduled to go out there. I'm going to try to make it out there. And I believe Jason Cosgrey is going to try to go. So we might have the band back together out there for, I know. for our games. But the way we re- arrived here was on Tuesday, this past Tuesday, after a rain out on Monday, the Marines blanked the, the Eagles 5 nothing behind lefty Kazuya Ojima, who really must have been injured or something because he overcame whatever was wrong with him and made some adjustments uh, mid-season to become a shutdown guy down the stretch. And he beat Takahiro Norimoto, who has been the opposite. He just wasn't that good. I was going to try to look up the numbers, but uh, just safe to say I've had a lot of stuff with schools and and work and (laughs) workouts and everything this week that I wasn't able to look up the numbers. But I just know that he wasn't great down the stretch stretch, uh, as he had been in the past. And that kind of cost him because he gave up a home run to Isanori Yasuda that went down the line that uh, after the after the home run hit the the fair pole or the foul pole, whatever you want to call it, Norimoto made this face showing his teeth and kind of biting, thinking, you know, and that, that just made the lead 2 nothing. but it just seemed like that was it. That was the season. That was the way I was going to see the good little Eagles go down because... Um, and I, and I later in the game, I even mailed Jim, I think it was the eighth inning, and 
it's a do or die game. And I complained that the manager of the Eagles, Kazuhisa Ishii, was managing like mm-hmm. he wanted the season to end. And as it turned out, <laughs> well, they lost thought, the game. And the thought, next day, well, I thought he was managing like he expected there to be a game tomorrow. <laughs> You know, got to save Yuki Matsui for that ninth inning. Just, you know, we got to save him for a save opportunity. Never mind that we're losing two nothing in the in the eighth inning. In the eighth inning, yeah. So, uh, and as it turns out, Ishii the next day stepped down as manager. And I think I saw a report uh, like 8 p.m. that night. So who knows exactly what was going on or if he had tension, intentions to walk away. But, you know, he, he made his speech on the field. I watched pro news they didn't talk about it and then the next day we get these stories coming out and he you know he could have made his every manager comes on the field after the final home game and makes remarks to the to the fans uh uh, the final home game of the season Mm -hmm. and makes remarks to the fans and you know he could have said goodbye then uh because it seemed like he had his plans in place (laughs) i'm gonna guess he did well one never knows with you don't not he's he's uh he's really easy to talk to in person but he's really hard when he's speaking in public it it looks like someone's giving him a hot foot you know he's got you this know like, i, I get this, this like uh, please, don't i'm i'm happy uh, thank you thank you thank you mm-hmm. i get that, that my impression is he's you know someone is giving him a sedative and he's uh, fighting it off well, that's the other one. I, I mean, the point is, he's never quite into what he's speaking of. He's always like distracted. Mm, I like that. He looks, you know, he has that. He likes. He doesn't like to look stri- straight in the eye. He's looking at the corner of his eyes. In a famous family photo, this is a personal aside, famous family photo of my mother and father being married. My mom's like so happy my dad's look his for some reason they took the picture when his eyes are rolling it looks like he's trying to see where the closest exit is <laughs> and, so, and, yeah. and i get that impression with ishii he's always looking out the side you know looking like i don't know what like expecting a hook or something <laughs> so anyway the marines win that game and they not only make the playoffs because that was a do or die game to get mm-hmm. into the playoffs, but they leapfrog and go into third place. I'm sorry, into second place, and they get to host the first round of right. the PLCS. So that was a huge game in that respect for the Marines, and they came through. And I was happy because that means we have an opportunity to go to a playoff game, which we're going to go to today. So awesome. Yeah. And then today we saw the matchup last night. It's going to be Carter Stewart Jr., a friend of the program versus Noki Sasaki. So what could be better? <laughs> I I know. And so, yeah, so it'll be, hopefully it'll be uh, some redemption for Carter Stewart Jr., who had a chance uh, a week earlier to pitch the Hawks into the top playoff seed. October 7th, yeah. October 7th and get him into the, the postseason. But he he wasn't he wasn't really good against the, the Rock 10 Eagles, who were close to eliminated with a 5-5 tie and that's when I had to get out the slide rule and figure out the permutations of the three teams that were getting into the into the postseason. Mm. What really interested me the most was on Saturday the Eagles essentially could uh they 
it didn't really matter what the Eagles did be in that game. They ended up in a 12 inning five, five tie. Mm-hmm. If they had, if they had tied, if they had tied, they would need to win against the Marines in their uh, early week game to get into the playoffs. If they had lost, they would have to win against the Marines to get into the playoffs. And if they, had one, they'd have to win against the Marines to get into the playoffs. So it really didn't matter what happened to the Eagles, but the tie did uh, help the Hawks. the The Hawks needed a win there to help them get the top seed in the playoffs, which they didn't get. Or the the second seed, the higher seed, yeah. The hot, yeah, the the second seed in the, in the playoffs after the Oryx Buffaloes, right? Who who uh, just a, a quick mention. Uh, played really well in their last two games <laughs> because the third game from the last, I think that was also on Saturday. It was on Friday, I think, the last week. They let the Marines beat them up a bit, and they didn't show a lot of energy. There was and gray so, matter on the field, yes. Yeah. <laughs> 12 I mean, to 1. <laughs> yeah. And so, but, you know, they weren't through because after the game, apparently, manager Satoshi Nakajima <laughs> cleaned out what was left. <laughs> Good. <laughs> he said, you got anything, you got any more, any butt on you? Because I'm going to take it off. Wow. <laughs> Let me get my belt, <laughs> my father yeah. used to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was, there was some of that. And so they came out, uh, they came out looking like they tended to win the next two games and that was that proved to be trouble for the both the marines and the hawks right so uh today so we've got the second seeded marines playing host to the third seeded hawks today like i said it's uh sasaki versus stewart jr and overall i i, I guess we'll discuss a little bit about this series because it's basically going to be over i'm, I'm probably going to post the show a little bit early but it's probably going to be over by the time or something will be over by the time we post. So, but I, I like the Marines to win the series because I think they they just have been steady. I obviously like Sasaki throwing today and I like the bullpen and I don't know. I've just, I've watched the Hawks and they, they, they had a really good start to the season. And then at some point we just saw them with the in problems. They had injuries inconsistency and ineffectiveness and it just it just permeated throughout the rest of the the second half and i think the the biggest thing was the inconsistency because we just didn't see enough offensive production and then we didn't see enough of the same guys being effective on the mound and the the greatest example i guess is shuta ishikawa Throwing a no hitter, but basically being a, a being number five, the rest of the time. Yeah, yeah, being a, a, a guy who is maybe number five, number six starter the rest of the way. I mean, he just had one good game, and uh, you know, Carter Stewart Jr. You talked about that. He had his start before this other one, the October seventh uh, start, in which he gave up five runs. But the start before that was really good. So it. <laughs> just inconsistency and I, I that's i mean i think they could put it together that it's still a quality team there's some veterans uh who can hit akira nakamura is a good hitter yuki yanagita one of my favorites in japan obviously can get hot and uh do some damage and kensuke kondo obviously having a career season uh but the other guys in the lineup what are they going to do how are they going to play defense in that, in that windy park um that could play a role especially this time of year when the wind is really going to swirl so 
uh, I'm going to take the home team in this series, thinking that uh, they're going to grab game one and 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 put it together for the rest of the way. But that's just, I mean, it's so close. It is so close. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think I think the Hawks are definitely a better team, but they under manager Hiroshi Fujimoto, they really haven't played like it the last two years. Oh, I having said having said that, they did essentially finish in first place last year and were uh finished they were pushed into second on a tiebreaker mm. uh by the Oryx Buffaloes. Uh they're They've done their problem has not been that they're not better than their opponents. It's that you just never know who's going to, you know, which Hawks team is going to show up. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think he has, I think Fujimoto is a real is, I don't know if he might be the problem, but I think, I think he might be part of the problem, to be honest. He's, he's an old school. He's a really old, he's a new manager, but he's an old school guy. Agree. And, I don't. I just think he's a little. He's a step behind in a couple of ways. I, I, I loved him as a player, but I'm, I'm not certain he has any. And I don't want to. I want to stay away from the pseudoscience. It's just he doesn't impress me a lot for a variety of reasons that I cannot explain. It's mostly just gut stuff. So I don't want to give that as a reason. Um, a couple of things about these two teams. Just some quick notes. The Hawks are a much, much, much better. Uh, base running team mm -hmm. than well either of the teams are going to be in the playoffs and in the pacific the, league. yeah in the pacific league correct uh they're also they're going to draw tons they they are a big walking team and obviously yuki and agita and kensuke kondo mm -hmm. are probably better than the rest of the than the marines lineup all put together agreed <laughs> <laughs> so if you, if those guys are sort of on brand and they get any help from anybody, you know, if, if Akira Nakamura, who had a, you know, had a respectable season after a couple of, you know, dogs dinner years, uh, or Ukyo Shuto, who came on and had a, a remarkable finish to a, a somewhat uh, pedestrian season, mm -hmm. uh, come up, or Isami Nomura, or uh, Masaki Mimori. If one of those guys steps up and has, or even uh, Takuya Kai, one of those guys steps up and, and makes it a makes it a, a, a threesome, so to speak, instead of a you know a tricycle instead of a bicycle, I think uh, they if they get if they get normal pitching, they should be able to win. But I just I just have no confidence in Hiroshi Fujimoto's ability to pick a starting pitcher who has anything who has anything working. Agreed, agreed. I mean, you know, the the Marines probably the lineup doesn't scare a lot of people. Gregory Prolanco, I think, hit this a, a, a few more home runs than he did last season with the Giants. About uh, the same, he had virtually but almost the same, the same season. Yeah. And and uh, so he's a threat, but yeah, you never know where the threat is. I think with the Marines, they and they can scramble up runs, and their and their manager has just been he's been very calm, and uh, I, I like his demeanor behind or on the bench, and yeah, he's smiling as he kills you somehow, and it's you know you don't even know you're dead because he hasn't really hurt you, but. I think he makes good moves. I think he uh, is willing to put his players in motion, put plays on, and and scramble up a run here and there. And uh, 
other than looking at some of the numbers, I, I don't really, there's no reason for the Lote Marines to even be in second place, you know? Nope. <laughs> they weren't great. The Hawks have one more win. They have 70 more wins, the, the uh, 71 wins, and then the Marines have 70 wins, but it was the five ties that helped the uh, Marines get that winning percentage, and that's why they finished second. So it's really close. So um, I just like the fact that they're playing at home, and they seem to always give the, the Marines as an organization seem to give the Hawks fits in the playoffs. So that's why I'm going with them. Uh, let's well, make it two. Oh, go ahead. Well, I mean, they have given them fits in the regular season only to only get only to get crushed in the playoffs as well. So, you know, those, I don't, I don't pay much heed to that yeah, the, past yeah. stuff, but yeah. Cause but all I, the players but, are gone and all the management's gone and everything's gone. Everything's different. But but certainly yes. I think you're going to get more, um, you know, I don't want to put all the blame on Fujimoto. The Hawks basically have lost that that veteran leadership that of uh, Nobuhiro Matsuda. You know they lose them because they're old and they couldn't really play anymore. And Seichi Uchikawa, who were the the two guys who were the backbone of the second Hawks dynasty in Fukuoka, and losing those guys was was really big. I mean, you know, they weren't going to produce nothing, but not having them around is is going to hurt. It's inevitable, but it's it, I think it hurt the Hawks. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, I just hope it's an entertaining series. Let's make a two-seam transition and talk about the uh, Central League, the CLCS. Mm. The first round starts, and that's going to be game one of the postseason, and that starts today at one. And that's down in Hiroshima, the Bay Stars, basically losing a one-nothing game to the Giants and then not being able to host that first round of the series but um I, I would like to see the Bay Stars get through I really I like them I I, I think I, obviously we saw the pitching oh. matchup of uh Katsuki Azuma going in game one and we expect I saw in the newspaper yesterday Trevor Bauer uh saying not only would did he want to pitch game one but that he'd be ready to go on Monday for game three if need be but it looks like if he's going to get game two that's probably not going to happen but I see the Bay Stars as pitching rich if this series goes to that third game. Um, I don't know that they would have an advantage because I think Hiroshima can match arm-wise, but uh, I, 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 it's going to come down to what I think we talked about midseason when you brought up the fact that batted balls at the Bay Stars defensive players don't don't get turned into outs as often as other teams turned them into outs. And so they've got to catch the ball. You know, that's plain and simple. They've got to catch the ball. Uh, the carp are good at stealing bases. I think this, this catcher, you better. Yeah. Better, uh, at stealing bases. I think the catcher, you Yamamoto of the base stars and the pitchers have to control that running game. If they can do that and, and catch the ball in certain situations, they're not going to catch everyone, but they've got to catch the close ones when they're runners on base. Uh, then Yokohama can get through, but and I I would like to see them get through. I, this one is too close to call as well. I, I I'm I'm going to root for the Bay Stars. I like I like them. I would like to see uh, that team get through and and play the Hanshin Tigers because they've had some really interesting and wild uh, games throughout the past three seasons. I think on both sides at Yokohama and down in uh, at Koshien as well. But uh, uh, what are you looking at? Well, I think. And both of these uh, pitching staffs are quite good, and we're going to see their best two on Saturday, Hiroki Tokuda and, and Katsuki Azuma. I don't really think that's a huge edge. Uh, if Trevor Bauer comes out and he actually pitches, then that will be, and you know, and he pitches well, 
Yeah, because um, he hasn't pitched in a while. Yeah, exactly. Um, we just don't know, but but he can be a you know he could be a deciding factor, which is you know what they signed. What obviously why they signed him. Uh, but yeah, I think your analysis is right. These teams are two very, very similar teams. I, I guess the big difference is is so a little bit of the difference between the Marines and the Hawks is that the Carp are basically a very broad based offense. Although Dilman Ishikawa is is and and Shogo Sakakura are, are their best players, they didn't really have outstanding seasons. And of course, it's never really about it's never quite about the season they had. As mm-hmm. much as the players they are, sure. Uh, I like those two guys, but the base stars are were really, and the base stars in in respect are like the Hawks in that they had they had two guys, uh, Toshio Miyazaki and uh, Shugo Maki, who essentially carried that offense the entire year. Mm. And the Carp, so in that respect, they're like the Hawks, and the Carp are more like the Marines, although they you know they have some guys who are who are big players. Uh, this season was was kind of a grab bag. Everybody could hurt you. Uh, the uh, the other strength, I think, the Carp hat. I don't know. Both these teams are similar in the respect that they've got uh, good starting pitching. Uh, who they've got generally good starting pitching, and they've got bullpens that seem to work in sequence. Who the managers have kind of figured out. I'm going to actually, I like the carp bullpen a little better, if only because it seems like the planning is a little better. I have, I have a feeling with, I get a feel with DNA that Daisuke Miura is sometimes using pitchers because it was his intent, you know, it was his part of his original plan and he hasn't quite given up on it. So Mm -hmm. sometimes you'll see guys, you'll see Yasuaki Yamasaki out there in a critical situation and you're thinking, oh my goodness, no. Yeah, but but it's it's like well I promised he was going to play so here he is kind of right. thing. <laughs> but that's what I get when I see some of the base stars relievers. I get that feeling. I mean they've got really good guys, and the carp have guys you you haven't heard of, and the carp you know I this series uh, it's, it's so funny. There's a couple. Of, there's a bunch of carp guys whose names. I see because they pop up, but I'm thinking every time I see them, I have to look up their names because I can't I can't read them because they're weird. Oh and yes, I, yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. And there's a couple of them, and I think one of these guys. The thing the carp really surprised me is how good they are off the bench. Uh, Tsubasa Izawa and of course uh, Yuhei Matsuyama are the the two guys who are the most famous off the bench, but they've got a couple of guys who are, who've just been electric. Right. And and I think that could be a good thing playing at home. That, that could be a thing. And I don't really have a, I don't have a, a favorite in this. Although of course I would prefer the carp to the base stars just on, on philosophical grounds. Yeah. I, I, you know what, I look at this series and I wouldn't be surprised to see, three extra inning games you know <laughs> yeah and if it's if this series ends and if this series ends in uh three ties the carp will advance <laughs> just yeah fyi so yeah, yeah. I, I do think the carp had the strong advantage with the stolen bases and the overall base running speed and i see i imagine the base stars taking some chances on the bases to get that extra base because that's how tight things are going to be. They're going to be looking to sniff out that extra base, and that could either 
be a bonus for them that, that that they're successful in making that gamble or a detriment and that they get thrown out on the basis. But I would and, see them taking more chances. And the other thing is they're playing on a on a natural grass field, which is the you know the central. Well, if there's two natural grass, but they're the only. Uh, you've got a team that doesn't really play uh, top notch catching the ball defense. And you've got them playing on the only grass infield in in the Central League. Mm. Um, I don't think that's I, I that might that might turn out to be a thing or or it might not. All right. So uh, as far as the top performers of September and October, we'll we'll do that after the fact because we want to get to the high heat. Uh, we got a lot of high heat that rolled in near the end of the season here. It was yeah, really interesting and yeah, people were turning on the afterburners. Yeah, well, and, and I always assume that once your team is basically out of the out of the playoff picture, that nobody really cares about JBW. So I didn't think you guys were listening that much. But anyway, let's go to fielding questions. All right, so our first one comes from Mike in Charlotte via email, and he says, "Hi, big fan of the podcast. Two questions: uh, What are the prospects for a Cebu Lions improvement over the off season? The lineup has fallen so badly since 20." 20- 18. That's question number one. We'll take them one at a time so that we don't forget because Jim and I are old. <laughs> Jim. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about the Lions. They were, I don't really know what to, I really don't know what to expect from the Lions. They have a they have a ton of young talent. Some of these guys could be good. I think a couple of guys I like, and I, I don't, to be honest, I don't even know how old some of these guys are. Uh, but do you say Sato is a guy I really like? Mm. And uh, but the the rest of the crowd, I think Kento Watanabe is going to be a, a pretty good hitter moving forward. And you know that's important because they don't really have that. And uh, but the 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 big thing for them is the offense. The pitching, the pitching at Cebu was actually not that bad this year. Of course, the pro- problem is they're probably going to lose their best pitcher, Kona Takahashi. So, what's going to be good for the Lions? I, I want to say, cross your fingers and hope for the best. Mm, yeah, I, I, same thing here. I, I like, I like the pitchers. Uh, I think the pitching wasn't bad, and even if they lose Takahashi, I think uh, Tatsuya Imai is ready to. You know, he has grown into yeah. his man body and he is ready to take on the yes. line starter. And Kai Body body and hair. Body and hair. Um, yeah, he's gonna lose his white lion front man buddy, but uh <laughs> I don't think you get that joke. But uh Kai mm. Matida, I think uh, that's a great one too. And those guys were really good. They just didn't score enough runs this season to get those guys out of the 10 loss. Uh, neighborhood um so they, they they can move to a better neighborhood if they get some scoring next year but that's you know again they, i think they're going to be struggling with the same thing what, what's it going to take it's going to take some of these young guys to develop um and they, uh, you mentioned do you say sato he's a fifth year player so it's about mm-hmm. time he step up um yeah. takuya hiroma was a guy who got some at bats i did i uh, didn't note and watanabe showed mm-hmm. some development showed some promise but i'm not sure he's I'm not sure that he is the kind of player or batter who can hit various pitches. I just saw him punish uh, pitches here and there and mistakes, but uh, I'd like to see him be more consistent hitting in all parts of the zone, which I didn't really see. Uh, Junichiro Kishi, who 
uh, was a number of it was one of a number of guys who just got some time this year. You know, they, I think uh, Kazuo Matsui wanted to see what these guys would do on this level, and he just was throwing guys out there. And you know, you've got Mark Payton and David McKinnon see what they do if they, those guys come back and uh, how they can affect the and impact the lineup. But I think we just saw a mixed bag of young players trying to earn a good look for next season. So I'm not sure what to expect with the offense and right. never know what they're going to do, who they're going to draft and all those things. Uh, so, but they weren't that bad. This was a playoff team last season and the, they, the Lions finished 65, 77 and had a tie in there. So they're not that far off. If they can get enough offense to be closer to 500, that would put them yeah. in playoff. Well, but their offense. Yeah. You just got to wonder how much of that. I mean, and they got, uh, you know, the three guys at the beginning of the season, you had to ask, what are these, what do these guys have left in the tank? Excuse me, three guys. Uh, but uh, Takia Nakamura and Takumi uh, Kuriyama. You, yeah. You had to think, do these guys have anything left at all? And Kuriyama at the end of the season answered that he does, but, but you know, the, the needle is hitting empty. Yeah. Yeah. And Nakamura was bad, also pretty mediocre for most of the season and uh, had a had a nice little both of them had a nice little uptick at the end of the year. But they can't be looking at those guys and saying, you know what, they're probably the Lions are probably saying, don't die on us. <laughs> don't die on us because we, we can't fill that hole yet. Yeah, I mean, they squeezed a lot out of Nakamura. I, I'm just not sure that it was water or drinkable water. They, they squeezed something out of that rock. And um, okay. and there was, yeah, Kuriyama, I didn't think about him that much, but uh, because he didn't really do In fact, I fully expected him to announce his retirement, and he has mm. not. Um, so with Nakamura off injured, and, and I think he was banged up at the end, uh, I don't know how re- reliable that is. We we now bring up the Hotaka, the aforementioned Hotaka Yamakawa, who's back with the team for the fall league. And that helps if he's going to be back on. I, did, I saw an article. I didn't read it all. I just expect that if they're putting him on the field representing the team in the fall, that they will do the same when the season starts next year. Well, but, he, he has not been. He has still he's still under suspension and the Lions. uh which I find they 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 brought out some kind of lawyer. <laughs> I want to use your word, jibber jabber, to explain why he's in the fall league, but he's still suspended. Uh-huh. Because this this comes under the heading of if you're an NPB player and the team asks you to play in the Phoenix uh, Instructional League in Miyazaki, it's tech, you're being paid for it, right? And so it techno tech. It qualifies as a baseball activity. Sure. Uh, but they're saying, ah, it's not an official game, so he can play when he's suspended, you know? And you're thinking, uh, that is as weak as that is as weak as it gets. Okay, so there's that. And you know, of course, I hope he turns his life around and he repairs some of the damage he has done. And at he he had a little he met the he met reporters last week, uh, or I think it was last week. It might have been this past week at at the Sabu Lions practice facility, in mm-hmm. which he he answered questions and he was asked if he had reached a settlement with the, the accuser, the the woman who accused him of sexual assault, who went to the police, and he said there is no settlement. 
Um, but because there is another person involved, I do not, I wish you would, I would prefer not to talk about that. And uh, we'll, let's move on from there for the time being. Now, that's really, and of course, he apologized to everybody but her. Mm. He, he said, I brought this all on myself. And of course, you know, you would like to see him come out and, and do a clean break. But as he said, there's no settlement yet. So there's some legal issues. But he did admit culpability for the for the problem in public, which is a which is which almost makes me which makes me understand why of the two teams that were interested in him, uh, the Chinichi Dragons were the team that was most interested compared to the DNA Bay Stars. I think the DNA Bay Stars like people who are unapologetic. Gotcha. <laughs> well, uh, who, are, yeah. aren't go, who aren't going on YouTube to attack you know anybody who. <laughs> Anybody who says anything wrong about him. And speaking of that, I did see an AP this past week that Trevor Bauer did settle his suit with his with uh, with one of his, his accusers. accusers. Yeah, one of them. Yes, yes. The, the the most prominent one. Let's say. And getting back to baseball and the Lions, I think uh, Sosuke Sosuke Tonosaki. I think it, they have them at full strength for a full year. That's going to add some power. So I, I think this team is sure. right on the verge of being right back at. If not above 500, right around 500. I don't know if that gets them in the playoffs. I don't know if that's uh, what you're looking for, Mike. But uh, that's that's where they are. Now, he has a second question, Mike does. And the second question is, as an American but relatively new to following NPB, how does the pipeline for players coming from MLB to NPB come together? I enjoyed McKinnon on Cebu this year, but I never understand how players like him come on to an MBB team's radar. You want to start this one off as well? Well, sure. Uh, used to be used to be just good luck. You know, long, in fact, I was talking with a colleague yesterday. It used to be there were N, uh, MLB guys who got K, MLB front office guys. Uh, Ray pointed out of the Boston Red Sox is probably the most point famous for getting kickbacks to ship uh, players of variable quality to Japanese teams whose execs would occasionally get kickbacks, you know, to basically make money off of that trade of that, of the player trade moving from the U S to Japan. That is pretty much no longer a thing. All of I, I virtually all, I think that the Marines signed a scout this year. And I think they were the last NPB team to not have a U.S. based uh, scouting apparatus. So of typically former uh, NPB players, not all, but most of them are former N- NPB players. And those guys, uh, uh, you know, they they go through the majors, they go to the Dominican, you know, the, the Dominican Winter League, and, and they see who is available. And they, you know, they report back and, you know, they talk to the, we've had the, we've had, the Swallows guys, Aaron Guile and Tony Barnett on the show quite a bit. And they talk about their role and uh, Fernando Segnall will have to get on the show. He's, he's done that. He's doing that as well again this year uh, for the Cebu Lions. So they, they go out there and they pick them up and uh, you know, they find them and the teams evaluate them. Yeah. I would say um, as for player procurements, each team has an international division some more elaborate mm-hmm. than others. Yeah. Uh, some teams put more effort than others into it. And 
you know, some I teams go, are better at it than some teams are better. And I go back to 1995. I met, I don't know his first name, Ashkisan from the Dragons. I think you remember that guy, mm-hmm. Ashkisan. Um, and he was uh, part of the foreign player acquisition group that the Dragons had. And this is 1995. So how many years ago? We won't say, but uh, <laughs> it didn't seem that advanced. It seemed like that guy would go over and look at some players and then come back and report. And then they just plunk pluck one out of a group or out of a hat it seemed but many teams now they they hire former mpv guys to scout players abroad guys who live over there and they look not only for the physical skills but for guys who can make adjustments and make the mental or challenge take on those mental challenges and clear those hurdles as well and i think that's why we see the the swallows i i really can't remember the last time the swallows had a guy who was just a complete you know utter can't put i mean i shouldn't say that because they've had guys they haven't put on the field yeah but but but, but uh you know i i they they seem to be really good at it and the base stars and this and the cart also good and then you see teams like the giants who just throw darts at you know like they did they just put out a swath of of nets and collected a bunch of guys and then started putting them out there to see what they had i mean <laughs> just they have however approaches. However, the starting uh, either this year or last year, they did hire four former players to be scouts, and including Scott Matheson and George Arias. So, you know, they're taking a, a, a broader approach than they used to. Mm, okay. Uh, so, but yeah, I think I would I would think the two teams who have been absolutely uh, far and above the best overall have been the Yakult Swallows and the. Hiroshima carp and I think it's amazing the Yakult swallows have done so well because for for probably 15 years Michael Okamura was their only was their one man show running that thing for them and he was he was remarkable yeah he's not even a baseball guy either so I think the dragons and fighters have been sneaky good too uh you've got uh Rydell Martinez with the dragons who was who's a diamond and they oh sure yeah and, and uh well, the, uh, the dragons have their deep Latin American connections. Uh, it's something that they've, you know, if you're going to do baseball on the cheap, which the dragons have been obliged to do, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's something. And they had uh, their former head manager and their former head coach and their former pitching coach, Shigekazu Mori, basically would take a you know three week vacation in the Dominican every year, watching baseball every day and seeing. These guys who, like like Tony Blanco, who mm-hmm. who had you know good records in in America, but things didn't quite click, and they're looking for jobs. And the Dominican, uh, you know, uh, every every winter, MLB has a job fair for people who want to work in baseball. You know, as as un- underpaid overworked uh staffers and the dominican republic is kind of like that with players there's a bunch of guys who are out of jobs playing baseball looking for work and the the dragons have been better than anybody at finding those guys yeah yeah they've done a good job so i i would say on the whole it's uh it's not it's not a uniform thing mike each Mm. team has a different approach and different uh plans and different execution in their uh procurement but uh it, it is getting better and we've gone we've gone to from players coming over from the states or from major league baseball at the end of their careers to mm. guys looking to learn 
uh, more about the game and then go back to the States, uh, which is a complete. So they're coming over sure. at younger age. And, and we even have the Carter Stewart Jr. method. So um, yeah, there's different ways. All right. Uh, Dave, our buddy, NPB card guy in Baltimore, mm. sent us an email and he says, I've got a couple comments and or questions for you. Now, we're going to have to break this into two. So we'll do the first two today and then we'll get back to his other uh, comments and questions but the first one was how much of the increase in Kensuke Kondo's offense this year is the function of him getting out of playing in his home uh, out of him playing his home games at Sapporo Dome uh and I'll start this one I think Kondo has been a good hitter all his career so I'm assuming you're talking exclusively about his home run production and I would say yeah obviously getting out of Sapporo Dome and that that high wall in the outfield and i don't know how the ball carried it was really hard to judge but it seemed like it was a little bit um impeded by the the air in sapporo dome <laughs> i don't know why i don't know how but it didn't the ball didn't seem to carry there so yeah he had he had 15 home runs at pepe dome and and that's that you know he had 17 doubles he hit 333 there he definitely benefited from playing in a more hitter friendly ballpark but I will say this, I don't know what kind of ballpark Escon Field is, so it's probably something to consider. Uh, we don't know if we, he had more power. I didn't look at his numbers throughout his career at other places, uh, at other ballparks. But I would imagine that um, when, you, when you're playing at, at Fukuoka and it's your home dome and you, you're playing in the outfield as well sometimes, you just feel more comfortable and maybe you were seeing the ball better. It maybe it doesn't have to do with... Uh, the fact that because I don't think uh, Pepe is that much of a hitter's ballpark, but you know they did lower the fence. They did create the home run. What is it? It's not a lagoon out there. What is it? Home have, run the, terrace. The home run terrace, and so uh, that helps and that changes things. And he gets to play there so much. So mm, I don't know, Jim. Uh, his numbers were actually very similar to what he's done in the past, uh, and yes, the Sapporo Dome. But basically, the home runs were different. And the other two things were different. One, which is uh, not easily understandable uh, without talking to him, uh, the home runs are were are the one that jumped out. But this, I would say, the three that's one of the things that were different. The other thing was he played a hundred, he played one hundred and forty three games, which was uh, a first for him. Yeah, yes, <laughs> not getting hurt always helps. <laughs> right. Uh, so he had played basically. Uh, his previous high was 138 in 2019, and he had 133 game season two years ago. But last year he was 99, and four. of course he's, he's a little bit on the every other season. 2021 is 133 games, and 2020 was actually not so bad because uh, they only played they only played I think 112 games, and he played in 108 of them. Right. So. Uh, yeah, not getting hurt is is a bigger thing, but I and the, and the home runs is definitely a difference. I mean, say uh, Sapporo Dome was the was the worst home run park in the Pacific League, and he went to one to probably the best one. So that's a difference. And the other thing that is really interesting, uh, he changed and he drew more walks, but it's sort of like he's in that ballpark. He's in the, that norm for walks. But the the thing where he has was different was striking out. He struck out a lot this year. And that's something we're not really used to seeing from him. Uh, he was a much more, 
a cautious, uh, cautious swinger, not swinging out of the zone. And I think he was taking a few more chances this year. I think maybe swinging harder than he had in the past a little bit. Uh, but typically when somebody's walkout strikeouts jump by, you know, 30%, we usually don't see their batting average mm. uh, do that well. Right. And his batting average did drop, but of course, batting averages dropped all over the Pacific League this year. So I'm not really certain um, how that worked out. And he did finish uh, four uh, points in batting average below Yuma Tonga, the Pacific League leader, which, and he did tie, he was in a, a three way tie for the home run lead with Hidato Asamura and Gregory, Gregory Polanco. While leading the Pacific League in in RBIs, so it yeah, was nearly a triple crown. Yeah, yeah, as they say, a double crown. You know, okay, <laughs> take take that to the pawn shop and see what you get. Hey, you okay. get something more than the other something. guy. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, and then Dave's second question regarding your Gosuke Kato interview last week, and it was, of course, not last week. Now, um, did it sound to you like he didn't know he was going to be drafted by the fighters? Did you guys talk at all about how he decided to make the switch to NPB? So, yeah, I know we did not talk about why he made the switch, but I I did talk to him for a second before we went on mic to do the interview in regards to, you know, him coming to Japan and what, what is that entailed. But, you know, he didn't give me the reason exactly why. I, I would suspect that, you know, he wasn't playing in the major leagues and, and, uh, he had the opportunity to come to Japan. Now, keep in mind, he's 29 now. When we mm. did the interview, he was 28, and I said he's going to be 29. So that's getting close to the magic number of 30. So if you're not playing in the major leagues, you're no longer a prospect. So it's better to make that jump. And I think that that had a lot to do with his decision in terms of coming. So uh, I think, you know, it's it's really different. The draft is than it has been in past decades or recent decades in which the teams and the players used to jump into bed together before the draft and they were practically married by the date you know it's like here i don't like this ring you know <laughs> get me a new one or i won't sign with you i don't think you know uh the players and the teams that have a, a completely different approach so it's no surprise to me that he might not have been completely clear about where he was going but i think he had some idea that the fighters were interested and that it was going to be via the draft. And I think, uh, you know, the, the teams have uh, these first options that they have on the board, but sometimes other teams pick the same players, so they have to make a turn. And so other teams could have been on the, on the table to draft him, or maybe the fighters were one of the teams that were on the table that had to make a turn. I, I don't remember exactly how that draft went. And, um, Again, maybe somebody, some teams has a player slotted for a certain uh, round and that player is taken uh, just before they draft or just before they pick or another team picks them up or they the player falls and they really had a, a, an eye on this player and they didn't think they were going to be able to get him. A lot of things happen in the draft. It's fluid. So whatever the reason, I, you know, I'm not sure that uh, he was completely caught off guard. I think he had some idea that maybe the fighters were interested. That seemed to be the case to me. I didn't pick up on what you were hearing, Dave, but uh, I, I, I just think, you know, the draft is so fluid, mm. especially here in Japan. It, it's it's It used to be players wouldn't 
get touched by other teams because everybody knew they were about to get married and now it just seems like uh <laughs> there's more uh i don't know how to put it any other way jim's smiling already i'm not gonna say it i mean it, no, it don't just, you we're not going down that street we're not gonna go down that path let's just let's just say there's lots of uh partners in this dance how's that yeah no i think that's i think what you're i think from your, your description the one the one i would emphasize the most is the fluidity of the draft and essentially it's it's not all that different from how it works in mlb that the uh teams well that i should say technically the teams don't talk to players until they've actually committed to the draft in npb mm -hmm. uh because of uh, japan is uh japan's amateur and pro uh federations are they're not they're they're well, they're a little bit like Japan and Russia. They're not fighting, but they're still at war <laughs> since since 1945. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they have kind of friendly relations. But like I said, they're still they're technically still at war. They have never signed a peace treaty. And MLB and Japan's amateur federations don't entirely trust uh, NPB. And so they the scouts do not have they can't just go to a you know they can't go to a high school game or a college game and then just you know chat with the player after the game on the what you know his way back to the bus that is forbidden mm -hmm. they can only go through the coaches they they don't you know they don't go to the parents straight away like they do in mlb so that whole dynamic is a little different but you're right uh it used to be that uh players could could well and it still is and it's not scouts usually it's the teams um the former players in mm -hmm. the what they call the obikai the former players association who basically do a lot of that um intermediary uh go between slash pimping whatever you want to call it <laughs> you know they're 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 setting up they're setting up things Okay, hard so out here. Hard it out is, here. <laughs> oh, well, let's not go there neither. So, uh, so that is part of that is the part that's similar. But the other thing is, I'm sure that Kato had spoken with the NPB uh, staff and scouts and uh, people coming to watch him, and he heard through his agent that people were interested. Mm -hmm. And so, but the final, but the, as you said, it is fluid. So nobody knows how the dice are going to roll on draft day. So I think he was, he probably, he might've even expected to be drafted, but he was surprised that it actually happened. And if you've been playing minor league baseball for six, seven years, you know, you probably are used to just being disappointed. Wow. <laughs> used to be Dean. Sounds like, uh, yeah, disappointment is uh, always around the corner sometimes. It is. Well, in baseball, that. it's a way of life, pretty much. Certainly is. All right. So, yeah, uh, Dave, we'll cut your questions off right here. And we have more from Dave. We've got on deck, we've got Mike in Detroit, James in Houston, and our buddy Glenn in Tokyo. So we have a lot of questions, and we really appreciate those. Anyone who wants to add to the question party, we're going to have to just do a, a high heat show. So. We'll do that That'll as soon fun. as we can. Yeah, just all high heat. 
um you know no off-speed pitches uh, <laughs> anyone else that has a question just, just one is, screwball well i won't point fingers then <laughs> that's no good go, go ahead <laughs> anyone else that has a question hit us up at twitter.com slash x at jbw podcast uh with the hashtag high heats and questions or mp3s we have two mp3s uh among these questions so that's cool to y-a-k-y-u-j-o-h-n at gmail.com and go to the facebook page and leave us a note there playoffs underway we're like i said i'll try to get this show out a little bit early and uh enjoy your postseason it's them ballparks follow the hosts on twitter at jbw podcast and at j ball allen and feel free to submit your questions by email or tweet with hashtag high heat thank you for listening to japan baseball weekly 